People of the phlegmatic temperament have a reputation for being fun, really going with the flow, but not being about great things or committing themselves to anything major or groundbreaking or exciting. To set the record straight, I wanted to talk with one of my favorite phlegmatics and one of the busiest, Father Andrew Mattingly. Welcome back to the Catholic Podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, Joe Heschmeyer, and I'm joined here by Father Andrew Mattingly, the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph, to talk about the phlegmatic temperament in the spiritual life. Uh, Father, thank you for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So Father Mattingly has uh, quite a history and quite a lot he's handling right now. We could probably do an entire episode just on that, but let's talk about just two aspects. So right now you're the head of City on a Hill and the chaplain for the John Paul II Commons. Do you want to share with listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, so City on a Hill is sort of the brand name of the uh, Office of Young Adult Ministry for the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph. Um, started about 13 years ago now um, by a lady named Carrie Kafka, now Carrie Perot. Um, and it has since developed over the last 13 years into one of the larger young adult communities in the country in terms of both number of Catholic young adults involved in the community and just the scope of all the different things that are happening. Um, so our goal really is to, uh, to form missionary disciples, which is sort of a buzzword in the church, buzz phrase, if you will, in the church today. Um, and we strive to do this by offering a wider variety of events, initiatives, um, formation opportunities. Uh, so we, we have a couple signature social events, um, one of which has been around for at least 10 years called Tuesdays at the Boulevard. It's just sort of a bi-monthly mass and social. We get 250 plus uh, people at that particular event. And our second signature event is actually just starting this Friday, which I'm really pumped about. It's uh, called Casey Underground. It's modeled after a young adult uh, event in New York City put on by the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal called Catholic Underground. And it's sort of a, a night the best way to describe it might be a night of, of beauty and power. So you sort of encounter the Lord in the Eucharist. There's kind of an extended period of adoration, um, sort of candlelit, lots of beautiful music, uh, praise and worship. Also the little brothers and sisters of the Lamb, for those of you who are from Kansas City, will be chanting uh, vespers, um, confession, prayer teams, just sort of the idea is to have an overwhelming experience of the Lord's beauty and his power um, particularly in, in the Eucharist. So I'm really excited about that event. Um, some of the other things we do, men's and women's small groups. Uh, we just started some small one-day silent retreats. Um, there are a handful of priests and a religious sister that offer spiritual direction. That's another really kind of trendy thing in the Catholic world <laughs> today. Um, so there's probably about 80 young adults at the moment in consistent spiritual direction. Uh, some mission trips, pilgrimages. Um, and I and think five sports leagues, too. Right? That's right, yeah. So a year-round uh, sports league called Catholic Challenge Sports um, with five seasonal sports and a couple one-day tournaments. Um, so that's uh, that's been going about 10 years. Yeah, a really, um, really big part of City on a Hill. Uh, so, yeah, that's 
that's City on a Hill. Um, and for all that, we have one and a half staff people. <laughs> so, so it's you're, you're uh, the half, right? I'm the half, yeah, and my assistant Lily, who is amazing at doing many many things at one time, <laughs> is uh, the other part. Um, so, so we're making it. It's 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 a real privilege for me to be in charge of it. I love it. Um, one of the things I like about it is that it seems like there's something for everyone, no matter what their walk is. If this mm. is someone who maybe has the thinnest connection to Catholicism or maybe isn't even Catholic, uh, but they like hanging out with Catholic young adults, there are events for them. If it's someone who's really serious about their faith and wants to go deeper, there's events for them. And so you, you kind of built a really strong uh, community of people in this, would you say, 25 to 35 age range? Or how would you define maybe the, the range? that? It's Yeah, it's closer to... Um even as young as like 20, 21, mm. up to, uh, there's a handful in their late 30s, but typically around mid 30s is when someone would sort of fall. Graduate out. Yeah, gra- yeah, graduate, you could say, yeah. But uh, no, that is the goal definitely to have something for people at every stage. So there's always something to invite someone into. A good kind of story to highlight that I had a couple of marriage prep a couple of years ago, and um, she was very nominally Catholic and he was unbaptized altogether. And so I just invited them to uh, Tuesdays at the Boulevard one night to have an experience of like the church being alive. <laughs> and yeah. uh, cause it's a packed house. I mean, people are a uh, humongous line for confession, even all through mass. So we have one priest saying mass and one hearing confessions and um, standing room only. And so he, he told me afterwards, he was like, wow, like, you know, if, if mass was always like that, I might actually think about becoming Catholic, you know? <laughs> so, so it's sort of, uh, you have your low threshold all the way up to the kind of high threshold thing. So, yeah, that's, that's a great example. All right. So now if you would share a couple words about the John Paul II comments. Yeah. So this is a really exciting project that's, um, going on, uh, right next to UMKC in Kansas city, university of Missouri, Kansas city, um, which hasn't had a Newman center and probably, I don't know, I think at least 20 years, maybe 30 years. And so an old school building, uh, parish school building that closed down about 15 years ago got renovated into a residential Newman Center, you might say. So there's room for 110 students to live there. And then uh, on the top two floors and then on the bottom floor is sort of the Newman Center space. Um, and so, yeah, we're just sort of building a campus ministry from the ground up. Uh, we have a campus minister there. Um, Dane Finney surname and uh, so yeah we're just striving to reach out to roughly 15,000 college students in the UMKC campus and um, getting our feet wet with that so and there's yeah weekly mass and dinner and talks mm-hmm. I know because I've done some of these yeah yep so, yep. <laughs> yep. so uh, yeah it is another great opportunity it's obviously that's for the age kind of right before exactly yeah city on a hill and I think it mm-hmm. makes it a good transition point you have some overlap so that way, if people graduate, I know one of the things we found is that when people graduate, they they sort of go from having this great culture sometimes in college mm-hmm. of a, a good Catholic culture. I mean, that's not most people's stereotype of college, but a lot of people they really did have that wherever they were. Uh, they had a good group of Catholic friends. They held each other accountable. And then they graduate, they go out into the real world, and they may have nobody. And a lot of people kind of drift for a while. Yeah. No. Absolutely. That's that's something I've found to be 
true across the board. Even someone with a very, very strong faith that can find themselves, you know, a year into real life, so to speak, barely making it to Sunday Mass. So um, without that community, I mean, it's tough. It's it's tough. So we do try and provide that in City on a Hill. One of the things I, I dream big about as well is developing some kind of tool, app, whatever, to help people connect and find other Catholic roommates uh, and to start sort of small like apartment complex communities or neighborhood communities centered around a parish when possible um, so that you do have that sort of frequent daily contact that you may have had in college, but once you move to the real world is often few and far between. So, yeah, that's another another topic. I'm so glad you shared all of that. Because I think one of the stereotypes of phlegmatics, and I think you embody this in a lot of ways, but one of the negative stereotypes is that they're... Uh, maybe unproductive, they don't do a lot, they're lazy, etc. And I think you dispel that pretty dramatically because you do these things and you work at the Chancery, I assume, because we're here at the Chancery yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, tiny bit. And then, uh, <laughs> at least have an office here. Yeah, but yeah. Whether yeah. you work or not, I guess, might be another... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Work remotely most often, but but yeah, I have a yeah small part-time work at a parish and then overseeing... Our, all of our campus ministries for the diocese as well, which is kind of roped into our young adult office. So I'm kind of forced to overcome maybe my natural phlegmatic <laughs> tendencies. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, it's great because we've been talking in the last couple episodes just about the way virtue and like really striving to grow can help you identify and overcome a lot of the pitfalls that someone of your temperament might be disposed to. And it seems like you're kind of a success story so far in terms of having to have, you know, just like four full-time jobs. To, uh, yeah, it certainly brought me out of my comfort zone, that's for sure. I, I definitely identify with the, uh, well, I've, I guess I've always sort of dreamt big about things, but when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of doing work um, and reaching those goals, that's the harder, <laughs> that's yeah. the harder part. So I've, you know, I've, I've, I don't know, devised all kinds of different sort of personal schedules and calendars and things of this sort over the last several years just to just to try and stay on top of things and not not fall into this abyss of just being overwhelmed by work and whatever (laughs) so yeah actually um, building on that i know when i knew you in rome the podcast you started there catholic bites or you know co-founded there your spreadsheet for the number of episodes you were going to do was unbelievable you had something like what was it 250 planned episodes that was over 400 yeah or 400 episodes yeah thematically organized in terms of getting the right balance we need to hire you on for the catholic podcast Uh, i can't pay you anything but if you've got some free time without all those uh jobs yeah yeah well um okay well let's get into some of the classic traits Hmm. Um, of the phlegmatic, and you can say what your experience is, agreeing, disagreeing, nuancing, maybe fleshing it out a little bit. Um, now most, so, so far, I've been looking at Father Conrad Hawk's book, hmm. but I'm going to tell you, I don't think Hawk is that good uh, on phlegmatics. He hmm. basically gives one page hmm. in the whole book, and it's, it's overwhelmingly negative. <laughs> uh, whereas I think yeah. Father Jordan Allman, who you'd actually recommended, has a much better, more nuanced understanding that I think it is a better uh, description. I think it's, it's less pejorative and probably more hmm. accurate. Hmm. So I want to give a couple of the things that Father Hawk 
gives. Um, but mostly I want to stick to Father Almond's book. So the first one, the kind of defining feature that he identifies, he says, the phlegmatic is rarely aroused emotionally, and if so, only weakly. The impressions received usually last for only a short time and leave no trace. Yeah, I think I would, I would definitely agree with that. It, it, uh, I don't react quickly to things. Um, it, it oftentimes takes a lot for, for me to get upset about something. Like I can't, I can't really remember the last time I was like legitimately angry about something <laughs> or sort of had like a quick reaction. Like actually on the way here, I got, <laughs> this is a good example. On, on the way here, I got pulled over by a cop who saw my expired plates and, and uh, I didn't know, I, I didn't even realize you could like see an expired plate. He was going the opposite direction and he like did a U-turn and anyhow. Um, so when I when I saw him pull up behind me, my reaction instead of like tensing up and I don't know getting really angry, I was just like, oh well, here we go. Like <laughs> just all right. So here's that. <laughs> so I'll lose about fifteen minutes and maybe eighty dollars. I don't know how much expired plate tickets are, but but uh, yeah, it's. I mean, I remember getting frustrated as a kid in sports where your adrenaline is just sort of naturally high, but outside of really high intensity context like that it does take a lot i guess for me to evoke a serious reaction which can be something i need to be careful of too because in a situation that people would expect you to be provoked to a strong reaction for example grief at a funeral (laughs) or something like that i have to have to be conscious of like maybe expressing in words what doesn't sort of show up immediately in my facial expressions um not that I'm like terrible at human interaction, but like I, I do need I do need to be aware of those things. So I definitely identify with sort of the slowness of reaction to, to stuff. Yeah, I like that you fleshed that out. Yeah. Uh, so for those listening, just a quick recap of the four temperaments. A choleric typically has a fast reaction to external stimuli and maintains that reaction. A sanguine typically has a fast reaction to external stimuli, but it passes. Uh, Melancholic tends to have a slower reaction, but it sustains. And phlegmatic, as we're hearing right now, tends to have a slower reaction and it passes, uh, seemingly even quicker than it comes on. Where, as a result, you can, it seems like for better or for worse, you have kind of an emotional stasis where the other three temperaments tend to be characterized by either strong sorrow or strong anger or strong joy. Maybe excitement is a better term than joy. Uh, There's not a strong emotional response typically associated with phlegmatics, but it's more that emotional stability, that steadiness. Yeah, I definitely feel that. Like, I guess uh, I've just been learning about the temperaments recently myself, so I guess I've never really taken it as something to be thankful for, but absolutely this sort of stability i i've found myself in the past in particular questioning when i see people going to uh, to and from extreme emotional uh states just kind of not really understanding like <laughs> what like why are you so 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 upset about this like it's not really a big deal you know or like <laughs> or like why why are you whatever so uh, i i wholeheartedly identify with the uh sort of lack of 
emotional change <laughs> sort of <laughs> constant <laughs> so excellent well let's talk about the good characteristics and then the bad characteristics and then how to kind of tackle them so there were a few good characteristics I actually wanted to draw from Father Hawk's book um, he says that the phlegmatic works slowly but perseveringly if his work does not require much thinking. So even there, it's kind of, uh, <laughs> it's kind of sticking the knife in. Yeah, but yeah. that slow perseverance to things where you can kind of commit to something and work on it, even if there's some maybe drudgery with it. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would definitely identify personally with that as well. I like big projects, and I, I kind of enjoy working through what some other people might consider to be tedious details. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sort of plodding along. Like I did a, uh, I don't know, probably about eight months ago, I was curious as to like the statistical decline in mass attendance, for example, in our diocese Mm -hmm. over the last 40 years, uh, something that obviously has been experienced across the Western world. And so I went back in our diocesan archives and pulled out all of our old, like whatever yearly reports that parishes give. And I compiled this gigantic uh, like Excel spreadsheet with all these stats of like baptisms, funerals, you know, mass attendance and number of masses and all these things. And, and it took probably in my free time, I, uh, I probably spent a couple hours a week, sometimes more for a period of maybe four months kind of putting uh-huh. this all together and like drawing conclusions from it. So if I wasn't a priest, I probably would would have gone into like data analysis or, or something but uh but yeah I, I do enjoy the sort of plodding along kind of long-term work that's fascinating because it's actually very similar one of the things uh father Amon's going to talk about which is that scientific mm. kind of knowledge mm. tends to be uh much more the phlegmatic's forte huh. than something like an artistic project or something mm. like you to choose between making a, an orchestra mm. or, a, or like an excel spreadsheet Oh, easy. <laughs> yeah, 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 easy. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, well, one of the other positive things uh, that Father Hawk does mention is that phlegmatics typically aren't easily exasperated, either by offenses or failures or sufferings, but remain composed, thoughtful, deliberate, with a cold, sober, and practical judgment. Yeah, I would identify with that, too. Like, uh, as I as I mentioned earlier, like, it's hard to remember the last time I was like legitimately upset about something. Um, certainly hard to remember the last time I manifested that exteriorly, <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe interiorly, like, um, you know, I, uh, struggle to, you know, receive criticism well, mm-hmm. um, and, th- and things of that sort. When I find out that someone doesn't really like my homilies or, <laughs> or they don't like this or that about me, you know, I may struggle for a bit interiorly, but um, certainly an exterior manifestation of exasperation uh, would be few and far between. You're not flying off the handle with people. Yeah, yeah, not not in the least. Um, I, honestly, I've known you for years and can't imagine you flying off the handle with <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it would have to be something pretty pretty intense. But <laughs> well, I guess it's probably so. worth saying here, this could be a positive or a negative. True. I mean, if you think about Christ driving out the moneylenders from the temple, yeah, there's a, a place where yep. righteous anger can be virtuous. Absolutely. Um, and for some people, it's going to come very, very naturally. And for some people, maybe it has to be worked up a little more. Like mm-hmm. there are some things worth 
being upset about. But I think you're probably, I mean, if, if I'm reading you, you correctly, uh, then most of the time that's not going to be what's called for in a situation. Yeah, most of the time. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. That could be a pitfall in terms of um, allowing the temperament to, to, for example, make make me a little too, uh, what's the right way to put it, um, used to grave injustices in our country. For example, like you think about the abortion situation, uh, the, the, the fact that like whatever the stat is, three or 4,000 children on average die a day. Um, and the fact that it, because of my phlegmatic temperament, things I don't get easily exasperated, that's something I should be exasperated about. I shouldn't lose my peace over it, obviously, but like it's something that I should maybe feel a little bit more uh, deeply. And um, and actually, another example is uh, um, someone came up to me after mass the other the other week and uh, say like, well, just so you know, like like we um, we'd really love to like hear you sort of tie in like some more uh, homily topics with like current events, especially things that are leading our culture down the wrong path, just so that we don't become kind of uh, desensitized or forgetful mm-hmm. of the gravity of some of these things. Yeah. And they pointed out the recent legislation in New York, you mm-hmm. know, and, and uh, regarding abortion and so on. And I was like, yeah, thanks for, thanks for, thanks for mentioning that because and it was a good, a good check for me to, to realize that perhaps although I've been quite involved in seminary and prior in, in the pro-life movement, for example, um, it just sort of become a little too used to yeah. the, the situation in our culture as, um, so anyhow, I don't know if that. Well, no, I think it's really good. You're saying this like accepting nature has to be kind of counterbalanced by the fact that some evils. Yeah. I mean, there's a sense in which you accept this is a situation we've been dealt. Right. But not accept in the sense of oh well, this is a status quo. Let's leave it alone. Right. And I think that's a thread. Everyone ha- or a needle. Everyone's gonna have to thread. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a way to like. Um, Exasperation kind of implies losing your interior peace. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a way for like a phlegmatic, for example, and everyone I suppose to um, to sort of be at peace while also not becoming complacent about that's a good very important grave things. Yeah. So absolutely. Well, let's uh, go back to some of the clearly positive uh, <laughs> yeah. features. So Father Amen. Who, and we'll include this in the show notes, listeners. Uh, he says the first temperament, er, first characteristic rather of the temperament, is that they work slowly but assiduously. We've already talked about that a little bit. Um, then he says that they're not easily irritated by insults, misfortunes, or sickness. Again, I think we've talked about that. Uh, they usually remain tranquil, discreet, and sober. They have a great deal of common sense and mental balance. So it seems like there's kind of a common picture emerging. Of someone who keeps their wits about them. And it seems like a pretty accurate description so far. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, I try and even when there's sort of like unexpected events or like unexpected stimuli, if you want to keep the, <laughs> the terminology consistent, um, I try as quickly as I can to like sort of rationally process so yeah. that like um, I can just make sense of what, what a next step is. 
like I often think about, um, and this can apply, I guess, as a parallel to um, the importance of of detachment in in the spiritual life, um, detachment from our own plans and from created things and so on. But I often think of the story of saying Ignatius of Loyola, um, and I hope I get this right, but I, I believe it. The story goes goes like this: basically. A year or two before his death in 1556, I think it was, you know, the Jesuits, the order he'd founded some 25 years, 30 years prior, had blossomed. There were like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, however many thousands of Jesuits around the world doing incredible things, like primarily founding and teaching important universities in Europe and mission work in every, like, corner of the globe. Um, And someone asked him, they were like, Father Ignatius, you know, if the Pope, like, tomorrow were to suppress the Jesuit order and, and you could no longer do your mission work and education and so on, like, how would you react? And he said, well, it'd probably take me about um, 15 minutes to recover my senses and then I'd go on about my day. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I don't know, I, I kind of relate to that being sort of, I guess the phlegmatic temperament lends itself to that reaction, mm-hmm. um, even though he probably wasn't. Phlegmatic. No, he, was, he, he think, probably had uh, to work. Very much it. a color who had to strive for that yeah. stability and peace. Yeah. So it's nice to have that <laughs> as kind of a starting place yeah. instead of an end yeah. place in a way. Yeah. Getting back to Father Almond, he has a good distinction uh, between what he calls the in- the deep passions of the melancholic temperament, the inflammable passions of the sanguine, and the ardent passions of the choleric. And he says that these aren't typically possessed. That yeah. I found that like if, if I do have those passions, it, it comes through a lot of sort of like tilling of the soil, <laughs> if you will, yes. within me. You know, some people might be melancholic, may, for example, very spiritual, like experience the gift of tears a lot in prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've cried a handful of times in prayer, um, almost always in like like Good Friday, <laughs> for example, <laughs> and like just sort of hearing the reproaches mm-hmm. um, of, of Good Friday and uh, so like things like tears don't come quickly, sort of yeah. that whatever I said, the deep passions of the melancholic, the the ardent I would identify a little bit more with uh, the ardent of the choleric, um, just in terms of like wanting to reach everyone with the gospel, yeah, and, and just sort of that being at the forefront of my mind every day. Um, uh, but yeah, definitely the inflammable ones of the sanguine, I would say I'd probably least relate with <laughs> um, of, of, of those three. Yeah. Excellent. So. Um, in their speech, phlegmatics are orderly, clear, positive, and measured rather than florid and picturesque. Mm. Yep, definitely relate to that as well. Um, I can appreciate like poetic sort of rhetoric and like its yeah. place. Um, but I find myself to be a little bit more uh, just clear, precise, simple in mm-hmm. speech, I guess. Um, I've heard you use good examples in homilies. But if, for example, you used A Dream of Don Bosco. Mm. But it was not something where you just said, I had this great image. You were just saying, I read this great image, and I think this helps illustrate my point. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely identify with that sort of, like, simplicity, I guess, of speech. Mm-hmm. Um so. Sort of directness and yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Um, this is one I mentioned earlier. They're more suited to scientific work, which involves long and patient research and minute investigation into original productions. 
Yep, absolutely. <laughs> I don't think I can give a better example than that. Yeah, that was long. a fantastic. I mean, you didn't even know I was going to ask yeah. that, but yeah, you gave an example, an example that really fit it to a T. Um, they have good hearts, but they seem to be cold. Mm. That's one like, um, yeah, I just read that in the Almond book a month or so ago, and I immediately connected a lot with that more than others um, in in just realizing that, yeah, while I do care about people <laughs> and love them, um, it's not always going to be obvious simply yeah. because of the the lack of, like, emotional vibrancy or, or um, yeah. And so that's something I recognize I have to work on. And I've tried over the past couple of years in particular as I've become more aware of this tendency to use words to kind of fill in what my demeanor or affect doesn't convey, particularly regarding like love or care or compassion to kind of say, I've even actually, as I'm trying to like maybe cast a vision to some of our City on Hill leaders, for example, or to um, talk about something I'm really excited about, I've even started saying things like, look, I I may not sound very excited, (laughs) but that's just because of my temperament. I'm Mm -hmm. actually like really, really excited about this. (laughs) (laughs) So so just sort of using words to replace that sort of defect, you might say, Mm. in in the temperament in terms of maybe conveying something that's not entirely true. It's like, no, I do do care. (laughs) I do love you. I do feel sorry for you, you know, et cetera. Yeah, Um, yeah. It seems like there's kind of a spectrum where... You can be calm, you can be chill, if you want to use a cool term for it. But it can also come off as as cold, not Mm. just chill. Yep. And and even kind of apathetic or or lethargic. Absolutely. But it's good, I think it's good also for non-phlegmatic listeners to know, like, oh no, the heart is really beating under there. Yeah. Even if the external manifestations (laughs) take longer. Yeah. With both melancholics and phlegmatics, there's often a longer route from the heart to the mouth or from the hard to like the external manifestation hmm. of it. Hmm. Um, That's a great image, yeah. You know, like things are going on there. Yeah, yeah. And they may even yeah. know, you may even know like what it is, but yeah. externally manifesting it can yeah. take a lot longer. Yeah, even just like pr- thinking about things and processing them, like people always talking about, oh, I'm an external processor. Mm-hmm. I have a good friend who's like, like sanguine to the max, like max, max, max. And, I know exactly who you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and like he can't, he, he sh- like if I were to ask him a question that requires thought, the way I would answer it, mm-hmm. I would I would immediately fall silent. Sometimes I even close my eyes. If like someone asks me a question that's going to require some thinking before answering, just sort of like process it in my own mind and then give some kind of answer. This guy, like, it's almost impossible for him to do that. Like, yeah. he's, he's, I think, striving to grow in that. But his just natural way of doing it is I have to talk my way through this question. <laughs> I don't identify with that whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would impede my ability to um, say what, you know, to come to, like, a good conclusion. And so definitely that, what you described is, like, it takes a long time for the interior to come out in the exterior. Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. At the John Paul II comments, when I was presenting on this, I'm explaining to them that we tend to think of each other as idiots. I'm, I'm exaggerating <laughs> a little. Yeah, it's but, true. Yeah. You know, where the external processing types, yeah. the sanguines and the cholerics, 
tend to, you know, they'll ask a question, and then melancholics and phlegmatics will often literally just fall silent yeah. and not say anything. It's like, sorry, did you not hear my question? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so we're expecting something very rapid, hmm. but then when these tables are turned and we're asked a question, we can come off as very, like, vapid and shallow because hmm. it's, it's all out there yeah. right away and in a very rough, uncultivated form frequently. Yeah. Where it's like, well, there's this. Oh, wait, but also there's, you know, and it's all coming out externally rather than being composed and delivered in sort of a clear, thoughtful, orderly way. Yeah. No, I tell it's funny, yeah, you mentioned that when you brought up that we all tend to think of the other temperaments as a bit idiotic and <laughs> nonsensical. <laughs> And it's true. I think if we if we examine like what we tend to judge most in other people, it's going to tend to be those sort of characteristics that don't match our temperament. Right. So like for me, I, I find myself often uh, tempted to judge like rashness and mm. quickness of action, which you're kind of describing. And be like, wait, isn't the prudent route to like we need a little more groundwork here before we like. Right. put something together like a good example of that this new event we're launching on friday in city on a hill i've been sort of like prepping this event for like well over a year <laughs> like i sort of went to new york to see their event like two years ago i came back started talking to some more people like do people want this kind of event what would it look like and then i took a group of musicians back to that event this last year and then like slowly putting all these like little pieces in place i'm like building like a lincoln log cabin or like a little you know connects maybe you ever read connects as a oh, kid yeah. like or you know i'm just sort of slowly constructing this thing and uh if someone were to come in and just say like oh we just gotta like strike while the iron's hot we just gotta do it like next next month like right. first casey underground i would be like what are you <laughs> what are you doing like we <laughs> we have to take our time and make sure it's polished and well executed and like all these things <laughs> well let's get back to the list phlegmatics would sacrifice to the point of heroism if it were necessary but they lack enthusiasm and spontaneity because they are reserved and somewhat indolent by nature yeah so sacrifice to the point of heroism if if necessary i yeah i would um I identify with that. As our culture kind of continues to decline and get a little more hostile to religion, I've thought a lot more about the possibility of real persecution breaking out in our lifetime, which I don't think is out of the question by any means. And so sometimes I think about, like, would I be able to endure, like, martyrdom and, you know, mm -hmm. torture even? Like, you know, like, w would I be able to to bear that? And, and obviously we we know that, like, the Lord's grace is sufficient for anything. And, like, if I was truly like uh, conforming my will to his and begging for that grace in the moment of trial like it would be given but it is something that i have to struggle to not allow uh to not allow it to fill me with like a fear or dread mm. of like that the heroic nature of that sacrifice mm -hmm. and how intense it would be because i am uh kind of it, it takes a lot of effort to do something heroically sacrificial. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would identify with that. Well, that's good. That's uh, a good answer. Um, I was thinking about this before the episode in terms of the uh, irascible hmm. kind of, you know, so there are certain virtues related to things like fortitude or endurance in the face of great difficulty. And so one of the things I had just been pondering before we recorded is what that looks like for a phlegmatic 
vis-a-vis other temperaments. Hmm. Perseverance in the face of difficulty. Yeah, like I mean, there's a lot of manifestations I can take. I know that's that's kind of generic, but yeah, um, yeah. I would say for me, it, it it manifests in my own life in a, like a lot of small things. So I have to be extraordinarily diligent to keep a consistent daily schedule, for example. Um, so it's something I've worked on for many, many, many years. I'm still not perfect at it by any means, but I've, I've gotten a lot better. And so perseverance in the face of difficulty for me often looks like, okay, the next thing in my schedule is whatever, daytime prayer, evening prayer. I would rather do X right now. Mm-hmm. I would rather just sort of watch Sports Center, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Yeah. But I'm going to persevere <laughs> in the face of this little difficulty and choose the Lord's will over my own. Um, another example would be like merely persevering in time of mental prayer. It's so, so, so easy for me with the tendency to, to laziness that's kind of inherent in phlegmatic nature to... To just go, okay, here's my time of mental prayer. I'm just going to go and sit and, like, I'm going to rest in the Lord. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. I'm going to rest in the Lord, which is just an excuse for not, like, really mobilizing myself to have, like, a real conversation. Um, kind of pretending that I can go straight to contemplative prayer. That's you such, know? okay, like, that distinction, I want to make sure listeners are getting that. Hmm. Because this is something that's so tied to the temperaments. Hmm. But there are some people who, being able to rest in the Lord, being able to stop the chattering voice yeah. that oh, there's 20 things going on, I've got all these distractions and everything else, and being able to be still and be quiet with the Lord really is an act of growth. Mm. Whereas for other people, it's, it's just yeah. kind of laziness. It's yeah. just uh, not working up the energy to have yeah. a meaningful conversation with God. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, so for me, it's definitely like it's the temptation to be lazy in prayer. Just maybe, relax in a room for an hour. And yeah. Out and say, All right. I'm just going to sort of ch- <laughs> chill here in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. <laughs> right. and Oh, looks like the time's up. And I maybe said like one thing to the Lord. And like I was, otherwise I was thinking about these big plans. And so I got to I got to work hard at keeping prayer structured. And so I guess you're saying, though, the sanguine, for example, might they have to fight for the opposite. Right, kind where of, it's going to yeah. be to fill it up too much with hmm. talking yeah. and to just be able to stop yep. and to listen yep. and and yep. really to just patiently receive and to wait on the Lord yeah. and just gaze at Him and let, and let yourself receive that gaze. And all of those, I mean, it's almost a polar opposite yeah. struggle in yeah. some ways. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, so so that's a, yeah another example, I guess, for me of perseverance is just making sure I'm actually praying (laughs) (laughs) when I go to pray. It's easy to judge people with the opposite temperament, like you Mm. said before, that their struggles might be the opposite of your struggle. And to either compare yourself negatively or to judge them is, I think, a very natural uh, temptation to be avoided. Yeah. Um, So phlegmatics are prudent, sensible, reflective, and work with a measured pace. Yeah, I would agree with all of those. It seems like we've kind of gone in that... We've, we've started to paint that picture, I think, pretty well. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's round up the last two uh, more positive ones, and we'll hit a few negatives and then uh, a couple takeaways. So you can obtain your goals without fanfare or violence because you usually avoid difficulties rather than attacking them. Oh, yeah, that is, that is so true. Um, yep, attain goals by removing the obstacles uh, rather than, like, 
crushing them. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yep, that is, yeah. It was an interesting one for me to read as a non-phlegmatic because mm. I kind of was like, wait, I didn't know that was an option. You know, cause yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, Having like a, a strong mix of like choleric and sanguine tendencies myself, it's like, well, you got to crush the obstacle. I mean, that's the choleric side. Like, there yeah. it is. Destroy yeah. it. Yeah. Or the sanguine side is like, ah, I guess that obstacle wasn't worth getting around. I guess I'll just be happy over here. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. to be able to find a middle way or yeah. a third option where you say, what if we just removed this obstacle? What if I can accomplish this goal without having to have this big fight over here? Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose that, that kind of falls into one of the parts of the virtue of prudence where you sort of like look look into the future at least that's what i identify that part of the temperament with. They sort of can see into the future and discern how to like the best means to attain a specific goal and so part of that would be looking at all the potential obstacles okay to reach goal x obstacle a b c and d are going to be there how do i like i guess the caller exercise in the virtue of prudence would be like how do i crush a b c and d <laughs> and <laughs> my days would be like how do i how do I just sort of like slide them to the side, <laughs> you know, um, and not in a sense of driving like, around the speed bump rather than over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which I do. In <laughs> <less>. <laughs> yep. So. Physically, uh, this is the last on the positive side. This is an odd one. Physically, phlegmatics <laughs> are usually of robust build, slow in movements, and possessing an amiable face. <laughs> I like to think I have an amiable face. Um, I can confirm for the listener. Great. <laughs> sufficiently amiable. Yeah. Um, the first one does not apply. I'm pretty, pretty thin. But the middle one, absolutely. Like, I certainly noticed that in other people, too. Mm. And it, um, very characteristic, I think, just sort of the slow movements. Mm-hmm. Like, you kind of glide places. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it helps with the cassock, too. Yeah, yeah. It's true. I mean, you just seem to be kind of like floating in and floating out of places. Yeah. You're, you're never like in seemingly too much of a hurry. Yeah. Uh, except maybe on the road. Yeah. It's funny, even like, even like head nods and things. I noticed that like with the sanguine friend, for example, mm-hmm. his head nods and like body movements are, are so much quicker. Whereas, like, my head nods kind of like, yeah, you know, just like this slow, yeah, <laughs> yeah up and down. I hope people can visualize what you're yeah. illustrating here. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's look to the defects and then how to avoid mm. kind of the bad effects. Mm. So this is, again, Father Amon's book. He says that the defects are the slowness and calmness which cause these persons to lose many good opportunities because they delay so long in putting works into operation. Absolutely, yeah. A good example of that is um, this new event we're launching Friday. Like, mm-hmm. if I'd been a little more diligent uh, in, like, we probably could have launched it eight months ago, you know. But um, in my overzealousness, you might say, to, like, make sure everything is perfectly prepared mm-hmm. before it is begun, uh, probably lost time. Mm. Um, and so I highly identify with that sort of wanting to, it, it's not really like a, like a, like a perfectionism per se, but something akin to it. Mm, yeah. This sort of like desire to, uh, just make sure I've researched all options and I understand them all 
before implementing a plan of action or, or things of that nature. Yeah. Um, Seems like otherwise you feel a little unprepared. Yeah. Underprepared. Yeah. It was sort of like uh, when I did this big Excel spreadsheet with all this mass data from the diocese over the last 40 years. Of mass data. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good catch. Um, I And then I was, I was asked to like compile some statistical trends and results of that for um, a few people uh, by a certain deadline. I was like, ah, oh, but like, I want it to be complete. Like mm-hmm. I was only able to submit like half of the conclusions that mm-hmm. I wanted. Um, and it was kind of, I mean, it didn't frustrate me a lot cause I'm phlegmatic, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I was just kind of disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> so. Nice. Uh, uh, two, phlegmatics are not interested in events that take place around them. But they tend to live by and for themselves almost to the point of egoism. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely see that. One thing that frequently comes up in my examination is like attentiveness and interest to other people in conversations. Mm. Um, I I think the, the lazy part of my phlegmatic nature means that when I go to like a social event, for example, I'm like strongly inclined to only have conversations with people I find interesting. Mm. And I think that's a tendency of all of us to some extent, but for me in particular, like it takes extra concerted effort to both talk to someone who I might find not particularly interesting um, and to maintain like high level of attentiveness and care for, for them in that conversation and to not zone out. Um, You've no. talked to me at parties before, and I'm now figuring out if this was an exercise <laughs> of virtue. <laughs> no, you're pretty interesting. <laughs> but... Uh, but, you know, and it, it's, it's helped, like, one um, sort of thought process or experiment, I guess, that's helped me with this is, uh, I remember I was walking in Rome um, four or five years ago, and I passed this old man on this hollow street, and it was sort of a moment of grace from the Lord where I, like, I saw this old man, I looked, I looked directly at his face, and, and the thought popped into my head, like, specifically his eyes, I was like, how many things has that man's eyes seen like wow. he was like 85 probably it was like was he in rome when like the nazis were occupying rome in world war ii like like what what have his eyes seen like perhaps a wife that he loved or still loves like all these things in it and suddenly i was like whereas this random stranger who passed me on the street i wouldn't have really been interested maybe mm-hmm. in a conversation with them all of a sudden this whole new world opened up i was like wow there's like 85 years of like life behind this person and that's helped me some too to avoid that tendency of of like not caring a whole lot of what's happening around me particularly in conversation but to say like wow this person i'm talking to at this social event like i'm I'm gonna get like intensely curious about their life because they've seen unique things that no one else has you know like and so uh, but i definitely identify with the whole like that's a beautiful way of yeah. describing kind of the unique way everyone living in the image of God yeah. reflects some other aspect of whether it's creation or the experience of God or, or just its life experience. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, third defective quality, phlegmatics are not suitable for government and administration. <laughs> <laughs> what do yeah. you think of that? Yeah, it's something interesting. Like, I, I would find myself kind of in a neutral spot, I guess, when it comes to like between organized and disorganized, mm-hmm. for example, and like um, punctual and non-punctual. 
Um, so I recognize and kind of fall into the uh, middle category. Some phlegmatics might fall into the severely non-punctual, mm. non-organized category that I've had to work on that a lot. Yeah. Um, so I remember being in seminary and like even just walking down the hall of a seminary, you look into a guy's room, you can tell like, see naturally organized, like yeah. put together. Like I was always kind of envious of guys whose rooms I walked into and it was like super simple. Bed was made, mm-hmm. handful of books all in a neat row. It's on the sh- like, so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And uh, I was always kind of envious of that. And I, I would always go in spurts of like uh, making everything nice and organized. So anyhow, long story short, um, it's something I, I've had to work on a lot and yeah. certainly not at the place of someone who is naturally well-organized and punctual and administrative, but I have, uh, for example, with emails, I try and um, never answer today's emails in the same day, partly mm-hmm. just to give myself a little buffer, but I tr- but today I'll answer all my emails from yesterday. Fascinating. So to just sort of like, yeah, it allows my phlegmatic nature to like, enjoy this kind of buffer i don't know a buffer zone so do you Um, read them on one day and respond the next uh i will glance at like in the evening at today's emails in case there's something really urgent but if there's not i'll sort of like collapse it um Mm -hmm. and just leave it for the next day so um it also is important as a priest with all the demands on time to not give the impression that you're constantly immediately available Right, otherwise people will expect yeah, an um, immediate turnaround. So, yeah, that's kind of a side note. But just to say, I've, I'd, I've had to work a lot and be creative in, like, how to be better organized and good with administrative things. And What about with governance? Do you think the phlegmatic temperament is a bad fit for a governing? Now, I should mention the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, has a very good bishop who I strongly suspect is phlegmatic. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't identify as much with that. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, uh, just personally at least, just because um, I really enjoy leadership. And I think I've found ways to utilize my temperament well in that regard. Yeah. Um, and perhaps, I don't know, perhaps there's a bit of choleric in me or something to this sort of desire to like build things and to have a actually I think that building is even consistent with the phlegmatic Hmm, well I think the kind of building yeah maybe the fact that it's uh, more visionary Hmm. is a little unusual whereas you know a lot of good scientists are very phlegmatic yeah yeah a lot of good researchers a lot of historians academics that sort of thing yeah yeah Um, so yeah so I I guess uh, I'm comfortable in governance but but perhaps um the majority of phlegmatics wouldn't be out. I don't know. Yeah. All right. So let's cover two more uh, defects and then how to avoid the bad effects. So phlegmatics are not usually drawn to corporal penances and mortification. And then Father Almond adds very kindly, there is no fear that they will kill themselves by penance and self-abnegation. <laughs> That's hilarious. That is so true. That is so true. I'm a pansy when it comes to like mortifications. <laughs> it is, uh, yep, that's another thing I have to work on a lot. All right. Yeah. Uh, the last one. In extreme cases, they become so lethargic and insensible that they become completely deaf to the invitation or command that would raise them out of their stupor. <laughs> oh, man. Fortunately, I don't think I've ever quite become that lethargic. <laughs> oh, yeah. But certainly at times in high school... 
prior to and during my conversion process, I was fairly uh, addicted to video games. Um, yeah, I think it's so, a great example of yeah. the way it can kind of play out. Yeah, Lethargy doesn't just mean sitting in the chapel doing nothing. Yeah, <laughs> It could yeah. mean playing video games. It could mean mm-hmm. you know, any of these idle recreations that, yeah. that can really draw you away from greatness. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So the very last thing is kind of advice that he gives to phlegmatics for how to avoid the bad effects of their temperament. Hmm. He says they can avoid it if they're inculcated with deep convictions, check, and if they demand of themselves method, methodical <laughs> and constant efforts toward greater perfection. Hmm. Then he says they will advance slowly to be sure, but they will advance far. Above all, they must not be allowed to become indolent and apathetic, but should be directed to some lofty ideal. They too need to gain control of themselves, not as a choleric who must restrain and moderate themselves, but to arouse themselves and put their dominant dormant powers to good use. Yeah, I totally, uh, I totally um, identify with all of that stuff. Uh, I find it's helpful. Like this good friend of mine who's super sanguine, mm-hmm. he is helpful in um, stirring up within me those high ideals yeah and kind of like sort of being like someone who just pokes and prods and says like you can yeah you need to do this you can do this like you know keep going in the like Mm -hmm. whatever so like i identify with that last piece also the convictions that's one of my favorite i guess aspects of the spiritual life yeah is like developing deep convictions that are just sort of a rock that never goes away. Yeah. You know, conviction that discouragement about something good is always from the devil, so that when discouragement comes, I can immediately reject it by clinging to that conviction. Conviction that God's love can't be earned. You know, conviction that, like, the Lord thought about me personally when he was on the cross and whatever. Like, all these, like, convictions that are useful to, to sort of, like, dig up from my mind and heart at certain points throughout the day. Uh, to keep that lofty ideal in place. I've found those extraordinarily necessary and, and helpful uh, to not, like, slip off the path for a while. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, and that's a really good illustration. So, yeah. And it, it's tough sometimes. Like, the conviction wells up, like, that I ha- have that, I, okay, I want to be a saint, and now I have these two options before me. I can pray the breviary with the royals on mute in the background, <laughs> because I I don't really want to give myself fully to pray in evening prayer right now. Or I can turn it off. Like, okay. And then I, I have over here the third thing, like my conviction to be a saint. Okay. Well, I guess the TV has to go off. <laughs> and you're like, it, for someone of other temperament, maybe that's not a hard battle. Sometimes for me, that's a hard battle. Like, <laughs> just sort of like choosing the perfect rather than the like. I'm still fulfilling my obligation if right. I pray with the royals on mute in the background. Not good enough. <laughs> like, do I really want to be a saint? Do I really want to be perfect? Like, if that conviction is deep enough, then like, yeah, yeah. it's the example of the widow who gives out of her poverty. Mm. We each have different areas of poverty. Yeah, and maybe that for someone going to pray is extremely difficult. Mm. Maybe that going to evangelize is extremely difficult. Maybe yeah. you know all of these things. Yeah. One of the common themes 
that we all have these areas of weakness. And those are yeah. wonderful areas, I think. Yeah. Where we can be invited to give of ourselves yep. and grow and, and become more fully human. Yeah. And less like a kind of a stereotype of ourselves. Yeah. 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 Well, would you like to close us out in prayer? Sure. Yep. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for creating us all with uh, unique gifts um, and talents. Uh, also, with various uh, tendencies to weakness in certain areas uh, in order that we might more heavily uh, understand our status as, as creatures uh, and the fact that we need you. Um, so uh, we ask your help for us to build real virtue, particularly in the areas um, that we need it the most, depending on our temperament. Um, and we ask all these things through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The Catholic Podcast is an initiative of the Holy Family School Faith Institute. To find out more or to see how you can contribute to our mission, check out www.schoolfaith.com.